Wings, Mr. Santa Claus. I need new wings. Not fancy wings. Just plain Jane, low rent, barely bent, homegrown, bare bone, off the shelf, two part Kmart, no frills, flappers. Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House for today's very flightless episode covering the 1991 Christmas special A Wish for Wings That Work, starring Opus and Bill from the comic strip Bloom County. I am French-accented, self-identifying rhinoceros who was born a pig, Mike Westfall, and joining me for this failure to take off are my frequent wing man and wing woman, it's Aaron Evans and Joey O. Hello, friends. Hi! Hello. <laughs> Aaron, I don't remember if you requested this or if this was just a suggestion like, hey, did you do that one yet? It, it was mostly a suggestion, but um, apparently jo- Joey didn't know. But I, I had like a, a trove of Bloom County um, like volumes. Really? <laughs> yeah, I read a lot when I was little. So, <laughs> But um, I remember this special and, you know, it's just, you know, Throwing it out there, seeing if you've done it yet, and and if not, we would totally talk about it. Okay, so you read a lot of Bloom County as a kid. I always I did. <laughs> I dismissed it as like these jokes are for the grown-ups. That's what I remember. Yeah, but 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 so much of it had to do with you know animals, <laughs> and a lot of people sort of. Um, I'm only realizing this now because I never gave it any thought, but. After we watched it, and Joey had no idea that I had any sort of a background of interest in this whatsoever. Um, in retrospect, like I, yeah, it was really political. Um, um, like the off, and I and I forget if I'm saying the name wrong. I I really feel bad that I I don't have a hundred percent definitive on how to pronounce the author's name. <laughs> like it's it's Burke. Is it Breathed or Breathed or? I thought it was Breathed. I was Berkeley Breathed. Breathed? According to Wikipedia, it's Breathed. Okay. Breathed. Breathed. And I feel really bad about that because I've only seen it in books. I always thought it was breathed, as in every time a wish for wings that work got brought up, he breathed a heavy sigh of disdain. (laughs) Because he hates this special. Yes, he does. (laughs) Um, And I understand why. Um, But... You know, I he he was compared to like say Doonesbury, which I never enjoyed. No. Um, so that that's weird. <laughs> but I only realize in retrospect how 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 deeply political a lot of these things were, and um, and he he won a Pulitzer for editorial cartoons in the eighties, and that apparently caused quite a stir because it wasn't an editorial cartoon. It wasn't on the editorials page. It wasn't specifically a political panel. Um, so, yeah, in retrospect, it's very political, <laughs> very grown up. <laughs> it's like the Steven Spielberg and Netflix movies shouldn't get Oscars of yes. the 80s. So. <laughs> Time is cyclical. <laughs> so did you watch this live in 90? I did. Oh, yes. wow. Yes, when I was, you know, 11. <laughs> Just cute, funny animals. Well, no, yeah, yeah, but no. You know, if you're a kid and, and a, a Christmas cartoon special comes on, even if you're not really familiar with it, which is how I, I saw the Glow Friends Christmas special, because I didn't own any Glow Friends. I think I owned one Glow Worm. Um but that was that was my entire exposure to the Glow Friends was just the Christmas special because I'd seen it. Um, and same thing for here. I, I don't even remember if my brother watched it with me. Like, I, I, I do believe I watched it by myself. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever discussed it with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't discover it until I was an adult. I want to say 2003 <laughs> was the first time I saw this. Uh, Joey, how about you? I feel like I definitely saw it when it aired, and maybe once after that back then. But it's not something I, you know, gave a lot of thought to. I agree with you. I remember Bloom County being like more for the adults, and I sort of like tangled it up with with uh, Doonesbury, like you said. Um, I just remember Bill the Cat being a thing, like when we were all in elementary school. That was like like some some you'd have on like T shirts, like oh, Bill the Cat was like a cool you know, t-shirt character to have back then. 
I don't remember anybody else, not that I often go around talking about comic strips, but <laughs> I don't remember anybody else really watching, reading, doing anything <laughs> with any of these characters. I don't remember Bill being on anything. I, don't, I never saw a plush opus until, you know, I was an adult. Um, there was a whole thing that was like, Bill the Cat for president at one point. Well, yes, that was in the comics. In the comics, he yeah. was running for president. And he, and he honestly, <laughs> it's presented in such a way that it really feels like he ought to have won. Um, <laughs> that was that was what really, that was something that I should have realized at the time, because it was during the 92 presidential election that they did the whole Bill for president thing, because it was George Bush versus Michael Dukakis versus Bill the Cat. <laughs> And oh, wait a minute, that Michael Dukakis? Yeah. Okay, that, that was 88. 88. Oh, 88, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm yeah. like, wait, no, there was a I bill in 92. Because that, that was Bill Clinton. Never mind. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, 88. Um, so in the in one of the comic volumes that I have, it um, just to, 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 like a litmus test, what candidate is for you? No. Oh. <laughs> they asked all three to interpret, you know, the lyrics to Louie Louie for some reason. And, you know, <laughs> and the George Bush, you know, interpretation is very much about like, you know, messy Ted Kennedy, me like to shove. And yeah, I don't know. Why is this still in your brain? Because I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and I forget what the Michael Dukakis one was about, but Bill the Cat, it's just basically... Uh, me gago, which is honest, because <laughs> he couldn't understand the words. It's not far from Nagada. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Predates Nagada, but yes. <laughs> no, I definitely missed this when it was on the air. Well, for the unfamiliar, A Wish for Wings That Work premiered following CBS's annual airing of Frosty the Snowman on December 18th, 1991. That was a Wednesday night at 8.30, so I was watching The Wonder Years. <laughs> Paul's dad suddenly getting rich. But the special stars, Opus the Penguin, Bill the Cat, and other characters from Bloom County, and Outland, which was uh, a newer sort of spinoff strip that he started uh, right around this period, around 89. So this feels like maybe they wanted to try and make a series out of this and this might have been a pilot attempt i don't know i think it's because he wrote the the children's book that year and yes, and this is based and, off a children's book yes so he he wrote and he's got a couple other ones and they're beautifully illustrated he he <laughs> does do like very painterly illustrations when you know the need calls for it yeah. but yeah so so people are like oh yeah there's a there's a, a, a squishy penguin and it's adorable. He wants to fly. And there's a children's book. We're going to make this happen. I feel like that was, that was most of the thing. And also, you know, it was produced by Steven Spielberg who was doing tiny tunes and stuff like that. Yeah. So he was trying to, to, to make a animation more of an animation name for himself. Yes. And uh, my interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we, we pointed out, there was an interview in 2007 with Berkeley Brethren who said he his dislike for this was mostly because he thought his humor wasn't meant for television, even if this was done right. And mm -hmm. also blamed his own lack of writing experience and claimed director Skip Jones was way over his head and apparently inserted numerous inappropriate jokes in the background. I found one we will get to when we get to it. but I found one that's just, it's not inappropriate. It's more of a very, like... It's kind of a joke that Animaniacs would have made, but we'll get to it. Oh, okay. Mine was just a... Uh, but <clears throat> Skip Jones. Are you familiar with Skip Jones? He's kind of a... He wasn't that famous, but he appears to be a Don Bluth guy. Yes, okay. he was very much. I, I, I know that. I did not see Space Jam, but I know that he was involved in that. He was involved in Space Jam, uh, and most of his animation credits in the 80s and 90s are just Don Bluth's greatest hits. You got The Land Before <laughs> Time, American Tale... Secret of Nim, Dragon Slayer, Space Ace. His first credit was a short film we've talked about before on this podcast, The Small One. Hmm. Uh, and then he also worked on Space Jam and The Page Master and The Brave Little Toaster and The Chipmunk Adventure. I wonder if maybe because the humor is a little over a child's head, he thought he could maybe make it edgier. I don't know. Possibly. That makes sense. 
but it, it, you know, in the opening scenes, I did go back and rewatch them mm-hmm. because, you know, while I'm watching like all the snowy hills that we first see, I'm like, I don't know. Some of those didn't really, you know, some of them were kind of forming shapes. <laughs> so yeah, the, there are inappropriate hills. Oh, I wasn't yes. even looking at the hills. Well, there we go. <laughs> the hills are alive. No, the hills are mostly boobs and butts. <laughs> Ample. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, this is Skip Jones's directorial debut. Um, and ample snowy hills aside, visually, <laughs> I thought this was a beautiful special. Yes, I I thought that too. Like it's very nice, um, nicely done. Um, it made me think of other early '90s animation, like. Uh, you remember after the Simpsons, every network was like, we got to get a primetime cartoon. And we got, you know, Capital Critters and Fish Police. Yes. And that's what, this, that's what this reminded me of. Oh, my God. Yeah. I watched those. I did, too. <laughs> <laughs> this, to me, felt like budget Roger Rabbit animation, but not too budget Roger Rabbit animation. It's got that sort of bluthy flow to it, too. Mm-hmm. And... I, I thought it was very well animated. Oh, yeah. It's not it's not like the, the choppy sort of um like what was it like the swan princess or whatever you could <laughs> knock over knock off Balto or something I that mean, they had later. This was the same era that Camp Candy was on, which is my my uh, go to for terrible animation. Oh, True. Wow. <laughs> Don't knock the police academy animated series. <laughs> Maybe they did a Christmas in July episode. I'm looking now. I'm guessing Camp WWE has higher uh, animation standards than Camp Candy did. <laughs> well, yeah, they got Flash on their side or whatever they use now. <laughs> All right, let's get into the voice cast. Well, we'll touch on the main ones now, and we'll get yes. to the ones as they appear, because we've got some pretty huge uncredited cameos in here. Actually, scratch that. One is credited under the false name Sudi Nim. Uh, <laughs> ah, but more on that later. Playing Opus the <laughs> Penguin is Michael Bell. How familiar are you two with Michael Bell by name? I immediately asked, who is Michael Bell? Yeah. And Joey immediately knew. <laughs> well, <laughs> you knew. Oh, I interviewed Michael Bell a couple years ago. Did you? You can link it in this podcast. I'm about to. At what point did you realize these glorified toy commercials were something that like our entire generation really loved and latched onto? I don't think any of us knew this was coming. You know, they say if, it, if you're around long enough, you, you get successful. I, I had no idea. We were just working. We went from show to show. We did 100-something Transformers, then 100-something G.I. Joes, and, and then jumped to another show, and then jumped to another show, and we never occurred to us that was a different era. I, I think... It was before computers. Good God, shows you how old I am. <laughs> I'm holding it together here. Yeah, it was, uh, and we didn't have a clue. I don't think anybody had a clue. Uh, yes, for, well, Michael Bell, I think, is most famously Duke from G.I. Joe. Yes. He was multiple members of the original Voltron Force. He was a couple Transformers. He, um, he was on, he played multiple aliens on, like, uh, Next Gen and Deep Space Nine under varying types of makeup. So uh, Michael Bell has a very long and illustrious career. He's done a ton of uh, video games, and he's awesome. And this is, yeah, it's like a slightly, like, higher, younger-sounding voice he's doing in this as Opus. Yeah, well, he's got such a huge reign, too. And on top of all the ones you've mentioned, uh, I don't think I've mentioned him by name yet on the podcast, but he, one of his bigger characters was a big player on the Rugrats Hanukkah episode. He's Grandpa Boris. As well as the fathers of both Angelica and Chucky. So there's your range. For <laughs> um, and then here's a weird Michael Bell fact I have. His voice is in Star Wars for a human actor. What? So when Leia arrives at the Rebel base, you can hear a character named General Willard greet her and say, You're safe. When we heard about Alderaan, we feared the worst. Yes. The actor is Eddie Byrne, but the voice is apparently Michael Bell for some reason. Weird. Maybe Eddie Byrne was too Irish? I don't know. <laughs> I also found out after the uh, after the interview, unfortunately, or I, I maybe it came up briefly in the interview, that he and his wife were close with uh, Phil and Bryn Hartman. They were neighbors, basically. Oh, wow. And his wife, I think, was in the Groundlings or connected to them. And I went back because I read... 
an authorized biography of Phil Hartman a couple of years ago, and, and they're mentioned in the book. Wow. So I'm like, I wish I could have just asked him questions about Phil Hartman the whole interview. Yeah, but. right? Berkeley Brothers said he wanted Sterling Holloway for the role of Opus. Oh, bother. <laughs> he was, yeah. Well, I, I mean, he was still around in 1991, but getting up there, he hadn't really done much through the 80s. By that point, he wasn't doing Winnie the Pooh anymore. It was already Jim Cummings by 91. But can you just imagine Opus with that higher pitched, <laughs> I'd prefer to blame Congress. and then the voice in quotes of bill the cat who's mainly just doing brainless cat noises is john biner who's probably best known for the ant and the aardvark did either of you ever watch those was that like the the um what was that was that a spinoff yeah i can see it now i'm looking at i know exactly what that animation i thought that was connected to like um the Pink Panther, right? It It's probably the same studio. Yeah, it's I feel like they were combined. I think either USA or TNT used to air reruns of that in the 80s or 90s. But Yep, there you go. Pink Panther, yeah. Ant and Aardvark. Uh, there you yep. go. Uh, but the Ant's voice is basically a Dean Martin impression, and the Aardvark's voice was basically Jackie Mason. So that's John <laughs> Biner. I will forever remember John Biner, however, as the voice of Gurgi in Disney's The Black Cauldron. Oh, oh. trouble. <laughs> I haven't seen that in a very, very long time. And I have another weird fact for John Biner, too, but I'm going to save that one for when we meet another character, because there is a huge connection between those two actors. I expected the cat to be, I was surprised the cat was not Frank Welker. We'll get to him, but I was surprised he was yeah, not Yeah, Frank cat. Welker's in this, but not the cat. Yeah. Come on. But let's dive in. Uh, that might be a spoiler. Oh, well. Can we talk about the opening music? It sounds like something out of a Tim Burton movie. I I honestly wasn't really listening to the music. I was just like, huh, those hills. <laughs> <laughs> now I got to go back and look at, well, Listen. good night, everybody. So after a short pan <laughs> along this snowy landscape, uh, it's like Tim Burton music box Edward Scissorhands setting the tone here, but we're introduced... Well, Christmasy. Yeah. We're introduced to Opus as he's writing a, ra- a rather wordy letter to Santa Claus, asking for a pair of functioning wings, but in the process, launching into his life story. And the essence of which is, he's a penguin who dreams of flying despite being born a flightless bird, but instead of blaming his being a flightless bird for his inability to fly... I prefer to blame... Congress. I do too. <laughs> that that joke has not grown old. No. Because <laughs> I still blame Congress. Yeah, well, and right away <laughs> Opus sets the tone with blaming Congress and saying that as a bird that he can't fly, he might as well be a rotten banana or a network executive. Mm-hmm. That Which is me, very tiny tunes. It is, and that sort of establishes the humor level of this cartoon pretty solidly for, all right, this is for an older audience rather than let's sit the five-year-olds down in front of the TV and watch the cute little penguin. Did you catch all of the the wings and flying decor all over Opus's bedroom? I did. He's got Amelia Earhart memorabilia. He's got little model planes hanging from the ceiling. He's got a st- one of the Star Wars um, fighty, fighter the planes. Fire? Yeah, the TIE Fighter. Oh, yeah, yes. So Opus recounts his failed attempts to fly, chasing after a flock of migrating geese, as he's taunted by a group of some familiar-sounding ducks, all voiced by Joe Alasky, the voice of Plucky Duck, speaking of Tiny Tunes. Hey, look, I'm a bird. Oh, I have slipped the soily bonds of earth. (laughs) Honey, I'll be taking lunch on the moon today. (laughs) Yep. And one of the ducks definitely sounds like Plucky here. Oh, yeah. Joe Lasky just passed away a few years ago, actually. Did he? I didn't know it was that recent. Yeah, he was all, Was he also, he was Daffy eventually. Was he Bugs later, too? Yeah, I think he, he took a turn playing a lot of them. Um, but he was, he was definitely Daffy for a long time. And he was definitely Peppy Le Pew, which you can tell, because in this special, he's also the voice of Truffles, 
<laughs> a pig who sounds very much like Pepe Le Pew, uh, who identifies as a rhinoceros. Merry Christmas, Opus! Always a pleasure to run into someone lower on the food chain. <laughs> and that's his whole thing. He insists he's a rhino and has a strap-on horn, but he immediately sort of chides Opus like, oh, you're still trying to fly over there? Yeah, it's, it seems to be, um, that seems to be the theme of this whole special. Yes. <laughs> to, to want what you don't have. Yeah. Side note, really quick, looking skimming over Joe Alasky's uh, uh, IMDb, two things that jump out at me. One, in Forrest Gump, he is the voice of Richard Nixon. <laughs> wow. And two, uh, he was a sheriff in two episodes of the animated Back to the Future, therefore... Happy Back to the Future Day. Happy Back to the Future Day. We did it. Oh, witness the birth of Christ. Oh, he was Beano on Out of This World. Yeah. Okay. Really? Yep. I watched Out of This World. I watched Out of This World. I that's that one. That's that one Saturday morning show where it's like you're either still watching this or you have turned off the TV and moved on with your life. <laughs> it, it was more like an early af- mid afternoon syndicated show. Was it? I yeah, I feel like it was on like Saturday. channel. 17 or 57, it was packaged with my secret identity. So it was around then. Oh. Now I'm starting to remember. What am I thinking of? Did I I just confuse Out of This World with Saved by the Bell? I don't know. One of them had Burt Reynolds as the voice of an alien, and one did not. (laughs) That we know of. I did watch a show around that time that dealt with, like, aliens, but it was live action. So we may have been thinking of something similar. I don't know. <laughs> it's all it's all starting to blend together. But <laughs> just like these animals and their identifications. <laughs> I guess that's the joke, but Truffles is a regular character in Outland, one of um the spin-offs to Bloom County. And that's everyone in here, really, aside from Santa Claus. Uh, this is sort of an Outland Christmas special. So if you've watched this and you're wondering who are these characters, they're not in Bloom County, they're in Outland. Yeah. But while Truffles is talking to Opus, here's where that inappropriate joke in the background that I saw and I mentioned before shows up. Uh, it's a sign for Santa's meatballs, but the word meat is in small, light blue text and Santa's balls are in bright red letters. Yes, I saw that when I was looking for a picture of, um, of Bill wearing a, a rainbow hair. And, and, you know, I'm like, ha, 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 look at that. And then in the background, I'm just like, oh, yep, Santa's balls in the background. <laughs> Plain and simple in the window. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and from here, we then follow a downtrodden opus to the in-home self-help clinic of Ronald Ann Smith, another Bloom County regular. She is a young human African-American girl who was part of Bloom County as, quote, a polar opposite of the kind of greedy materialism that the 1980s represented. <laughs> but you don't get any of that here. This is Outland's Ronald Ann, who's much more laid back and helpful. She's here hosting a meeting of Earthbound Birds Anonymous. <laughs> Not to be confused with regular Birds Anonymous, which is the uh, group Sylvester the Cat was in to try and not eat Tweety Bird. <laughs> Uh, And here's where they insert a bunch of Outland regulars for the sake of just cramming them into this special, I feel like. Ronald Ann here is voiced by Alexandria Simmons, who was 12 at the time. She's 40 now, so around our age. You're late, Mr. Opus. Everyone's waiting. There was a rhinoceros on 2nd Avenue. Uh Uh-huh. Save it. Doesn't have a lot of credits on IMDb, but she was a cow in a Christmas pageant at the First Community Church of Philadelphia on an episode of Amen. <laughs> yes. I love it. Also in attendance at this Earthbound Birds Anonymous meeting is a chicken voiced by Tress McNeil using her Agnes Skinner voice. Darn if I don't feel like a Boeing 747. I'm cleared for takeoff. Yes. And you were going to say that? Seymour, the house is on fire. <laughs> That's just the Northern Lights, Mother. <laughs> and an angry, love-scorned kiwi. My puny kiwi wings weren't good enough for Dolores. Oh, no, no. She had to have an albatross. And it's Robin Williams doing an Australian accent. 
or is it a key or is it a New Zealand accent? Because he's a Kiwi. Is it? Oh yeah. New, yep. Yeah. It's New Zealand. <laughs> An albatross. An albatross. So here's Robin Williams. <laughs> he's the one using the pseudonym Sudinim. Yeah. Uh, as George the Kiwi, whose wife Dolores. Left him for an albatross <laughs> with great big long wings. <laughs> so he's cursed with wing envy, and boy, do they drive that point home. Yes. <laughs> okay, so this ties into something we were just talking about. Okay. The one thing I remembered from the special was like a couple that was in therapy. So I remember this sort of in my head, but apparently. All I remembered from it was, okay, I'm like birds yelling at each other. So I remembered somebody yelling, queen of the hoppies, queen of the hoppies. <laughs> and I thought that's what happened in this. So after we watched, I'm like, wait, that wasn't in this. Where is that from? Google. The answer is a season two episode of The Simpsons, which was on around the exact same time as this. Oh, wow. And it's, yeah, Homer and Marjorie and couples therapy. And the other couple is fighting and the husband calling her queen of the hoppies. So somewhere in my brain, I got all of that stuff mixed together, and that's what I thought I remembered from A Wish for Wings That Work, but it wasn't from that at all. That was the one thing that he was certain he remembered very clearly. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm kind of upset it's not the same thing. <laughs> but I'll take albatross any day. <laughs> so here comes my weird fact about John Biner. John Biner was cast in a guest role on Happy Days as Mork from Ork, <gasps> but found the premise ridiculous and declined. <gasps> Robin Williams was a last-minute replacement, and a career was made. Wow. Welcome, Robin Williams. Nanu, <laughs> <laughs> nanu. <laughs> so... Uh, Opus quietly sees himself out, passing a small bug at the door, and it's his in-comic nemesis, Milk Toast the Cockroach, dressed in drag. Excuse me, is this cockroach cross-dresses in crisis? And oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, but, but, but the voice of this cockroach is... Dustin Hoffman. Because Tootsie, right? It is a Tootsie reference right down to the wig. Uh Because children love Tootsie. Of course. Well, (laughs) here's what's really going on. We have Robin Williams and we have Dustin Hoffman doing voices for a cartoon produced by Steven Spielberg in 1991. Mm -hmm. That means Steven Spielberg brought in those two during the production of Hook, Mm. which I think debuted in theaters the week before this aired. Because mm-hmm. that was Dece- that was a December movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. So just brought them in. And if you listen to it again, you can kind of tell that their microphones are different from the open <laughs> microphones. Because hair. it's a New Zealand microphone. It, it's a New Zealand microphone, of course. <laughs> it's because they, they, they dreamt them up. They weren't really there, but they thought hard enough, and they appeared like the blue food. There it is. You're playing with us, Opus. You're doing it. <laughs> there you are, microphone. Yes. <laughs> the New Zealand microphones, uh, the airwaves go counterclockwise. <laughs> After Opus leaves the meeting, he immediately goes to a shop for supplies at Stormin Norman's War Toys and Balloons. That's the one I caught. And there it is, the most 1991 topical joke ever made. Very 1990s Animaniacs, Tiny Toons sense of time and place there. Yes, because even the kids knew who Storm and Norman was. Everyone did. I don't know that that's necessarily Burke Brevard's joke as much as it is, you know, the Tiny Toons universe joke. I guess. I could be wrong. (laughs) But I mean, it fits here just because this was right after the Gulf War was over. Exactly. Old Desert Storm. All our faces. So, but Opus purchases some supplies on a mission to become what he calls an aeronautic vigilante. <laughs> a sky pirate? Yes, a sky pirate. A sky pirate. Yeah. pirate. <laughs> like Don Carnage or Kyrie Singh. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm convinced she's the only reason why WrestleMania next year is going to be in Tampa because the pirate <laughs> ship's there, man. Them, those buccaneers, they're just waiting. If she doesn't jump off that thing, why are we doing this? Exactly. <laughs> But Opus assembles a flying contraption topped with about three or four weather balloons, and my first thought is that is not nearly enough weather balloons. <laughs> Are either of you familiar with the story of Lawn Chair Larry? The dude vaguely. Yes. This dude filled forty-five weather balloons with helium, tied them to a lawn chair, and went flying fifteen thousand feet just sitting in his chair, accidentally entering LAX airspace, uh, <laughs> and lived to tell the tale. There is a great video that I will put in the show notes about it by my buddy John Boyce. So, my point is, not nearly enough weather balloons. Opus. So, anyway, but he's just a little penguin. Yeah, but <laughs> penguins are heavy. You ever seen a penguin up close? They're not small. <laughs> I've seen penguins up close at SeaWorld. They, they are... And Opus appears to be... Oh, well, kind of, not an emperor penguin. He's a little smaller than that. But even still, those guys, they're not little. Uh, but completing the dastardly flying machine is Opus donning a corset, and they drew a cleavage line, which was a nice Oh. Line. But that, that, that is very Bloom County. Yeah. <laughs> it fits. Literally. <laughs> uh, the attempt fails spectacularly when Bill hangs off Opus and sends him crashing into a giant plastic Santa on the roof of a decorated house. And here's the old trope of an enraged Opus taking out all his feelings on Bill. My cup runneth over with cats. I need cats like I need butt implants. You still smell like Brussels sprouts. And look at you. You have hair growing out of your eyeballs. You lay around the house eating small rodents like... Big dogs! And you... Barf on the Chinese rug. Barf on the Chinese rug. You are the grand poobah of worthlessness. And and you... You can't even fly! You ruin everything! Go! Leave! Shoo! Only to regret it later. Like Garfield Nody. Like Garfield yeah. Nody. <laughs> it's Bill and Opus. Pretty much. So I was... I was... At least mildly aware... When I was a fan of both Garfield and Bill the Cat, that they were meant to be opposites and play off of each other. Because <laughs> um, Garfield's, you know, cute and little and round and cuddly, and he talks a lot. And Bill just kind of, <gasps> and his face is testicles, and his <laughs> he's very angular and hairy and gross. He's like all the bad qualities of a cat. And that's exactly what he was meant to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he is intentionally the anti-Garfield. Yes. <laughs> that's why I'm surprised that you saw him on shirts. But I guess because the whole point of Garfield is merchandising. So yeah. I guess there's some irony in putting Bill the Cat on a shirt. I was thinking more of the lines. Of, well, wouldn't because I put Berkeley Brothers in the same category as Bill Watterson, who does Calvin and Hobbes. And he, you don't see any Calvin and Hobbes anything beside collections of the strips and 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 those little stickers on the cars of calvin peeing yeah not peeing discussing on those <laughs> <laughs> but but the cowboys don't you hate the dallas cowboys enough to have a, a, a <laughs> calvin peeing on their star on your car what's worse calvin peeing or calvin praying oh lord <laughs> for real neither is a calvin thing but as Bill sadly and silently hobbles away, the giant plastic Santa now stuck on the cat's butt gives Opus the idea to write to Santa. So this is when he goes home, makes some anchovy Christmas cookies for good measure, <laughs> and begins writing his plea to Santa for some penguin wings that work. And here's where we zoom into Opus's calendar and the days are crossed off to reveal he's writing this on Christmas Eve in the late afternoon. So at first I think, oh, he's going to go on this daring mission to rush his letter to Santa before he's done his delivery route. And nope, he just runs it through a fax machine. That was the best, like, gag in the whole special, I thought, to me. Like, yeah, that's the one time I really laughed out loud. Yes. I laughed at that. I thought it was adorable. I think it's still, you know, prescient. Because you, you, would, you would email Santa. You would, I guess, fax 
Santa, if you had the ability and you wanted, you know, to really drive home the point, I'm writing and I'm a child and look at my handwriting and doesn't it tug your heartstrings? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're not going to get that letter to Santa the night before Christmas. Um, but yeah, I laughed at that and I, I really laughed at, you know, the unexpected visual of Santa, the plastic Santa, just like zooming in on the screen. I don't know why I thought that really. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it is humorous. (laughs) And that went along. I mean, you still have that, that choir of singers trying to avoid getting knocked over (laughs) by Bill. And that's a recurring theme through this episode where it's just, he bowls over this singing choir over and over again. It looks like they resurrected Elvis for it. I couldn't really tell who the other people were, <laughs> but that was definitely Elvis. <laughs> that was probably intentional, too. Yeah. Still, Opus goes to bed optimistic that he'll be flying on Christmas morning as we now see Bill sitting outside since the first shot of this special, but now with the mound of snow just having fallen on his head. Just sitting there perfectly still. Meanwhile, high above, Santa is flying overhead at that very moment, and he laughs like an evil genius. It's not like <laughs> ho, ho, ho. It's like a <laughs> It's very creepy because all you see is this big, giant, like, very deliberately rendered eyeball like why is that the shot of santa we're getting yes it's a very realistic okay it um it reminded me of the animation did you see the raggedy ann and andy movie that came out in 79 nope no but it sounds terrifying already it's terrifying (laughs) it is legitimately terrifying so they have a few characters and what it's and the animation is that sort of flowy don bluth it's very fluid animation in that and it no it look it up kids the raggedy ann and andy movie is legit terrifying on purpose (laughs) it sounds like nightmare fuel so i'll pass But, okay, so Santa here is credited to two different actors. What? There's Frank Welker. Yeah. But then there's also Andrew Hill Newman credited as as Santa's voice. Well, that was definitely Welker. I know him anywhere and everywhere. It's definitely Frank Welker at the end. This maniacal laugh might be Newman. I'm not sure. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. I'm not familiar with... Andrew Hill Newman, he's a very much a walk-on role actor, so I don't recognize him from anything. Uh, We're just scrolling back through his IMDb. He was in, like, one episode of every show, but he also, his first credit is in one of Aaron's favorite movies. I absolutely know what that guy looks like. He's the compactor room janitor of Mannequin. (laughs) And then he just starts kissing all the discarded mannequins, hoping one of them will be alive. Oh, it's that janitor. Oh, man. It's been way too long since I've seen Mannequin, but I immediately (laughs) remember what you're talking about. (laughs) But yeah, so um, I'm like, it feels like Frank Welker's probably played Santa many times. I was like, he was in in Pinky and the Brain, but no, he, he was Bill Clinton then. I looked it up. According to his IMDb, like a quick search without like opening up, you know, 27 episodes of this and that. The only other thing I could find that Frank played Santa Claus in was ties back around something we were talking about. Oh, I think before we start recording Chipmunk Christmas. Really? <laughs> uh, just a quick control F Santa when IMDb <laughs> brought up that. Oh, and, and Santa's little helper, obviously. Well, of course. Yeah. So yeah, so they got one guy to 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 match the creepy eyeball and another one to actually voice Santa. There we go. <laughs> is, is the theory we're going with. Good theory. <laughs> Poor Santa's sleigh has a loose bolt and it drops from the rain, sending him plummeting to the surface below. But more on that angle later. First, we cut to a black and white film scene of a train and it's Lost Horizon. Opus is dreaming he's the pilot in Lost Horizon. What, wake up, something's happening. There's a fan in the cockpit. The bloke up there looks like a Chinese or a Mongolian or something. What? What? We don't keep the macadamia nuts up here. Talk to the stewardess. Gotta go. I've got a Douglas DC-3 to fly. It's a penguin. What is Lost Horizon? We didn't look it up. 
I know. I, I feel like it was a well-received film, but I don't really know much else about it. There's multiple movies called that in ID. I'm guessing is this 1937 Frank Capra picture, perhaps. That's the one. So in the actual movie, the plane is hijacked and crashes into the Himalayas. Uh, but in Opus's dream, he's a clueless pilot who doesn't know how to fly. But it's really actually well edited in our post-Roger Rabbit world. And this is one of Skip Jones's specialties. He's done it in Space Jam and the Pagemaster later on. But I just, even watching this again, I thought they did a really spectacular job in this one gag scene. It's kind of like what they did on Muppet Babies only a few years later. Yes, very and much. Better. Yeah. Yes. Also, there's something very important here that uh, a lesson that the world learned a few years later. Oh. Um, one of Franklin Sherman's greatest moments. Penguins can't fly. <laughs> Penguins can't fly. <laughs> uh, so, so just as the plane crashes in the Himalayas in the movie, Opus wakes up in the middle of the night, looks in the mirror, and we see the unexplained within the confines of this special trope of Opus's butt falling off. Yes. Yes. That ha- that happened in the comic. I'm like, why? Why? Why would a penguin have like this metallic butt that fell off all the time? What was the origin of that? Like, well, even- in the in the comics, he, I don't know for some reason, he was trying to figure out like the relationships between the different parts of his butt because his his beak would also spin around oh, yeah. like when he when he flossed or something. Um, right. But as far as I remember, and I know I do not know why it's metal or why it clangs or why it seems to be very heavy. Um, as far as I remember, his belly button screwed in, and when it unscrews, his butt falls off. Is he a cyborg? I don't know. <laughs> I saw that too, but it, they still they don't explain it. No. No, yeah, no. I think it's just weird and unexpected in the confines of this episode. <laughs> well, it's weird and unexplained. Oh yeah, it's out of nowhere in this episode, and. It's just a recurring gang in the comics that I don't think was ever explained beyond that belly button thing you were just talking about. Yeah. Well, also, it's funny that, you know, because butts. Yeah, butts are funny. Because <laughs> butts, especially when they fall off and clang. <laughs> uh, but at this point, there is a pounding on his door, and it's the duck bullies from earlier panicking about a calamity and pushing him out the door, where we find Santa stranded on an iceberg in the middle of a freezing lake. The ducks say they'd do it themselves, but ice water isn't their shtick, so out goes Opus, speeding along in the water with his water wings, not water wings, his actual (laughs) wings, not swimmies, kids, his actual (laughs) penguin wings. Penguins are good swimmers, his natural penguin wings pulling the sleigh from under the water, and Santa is saved! Showing us that while Opus's wings may not work as he may want them to, they absolutely work as designed. Penguins are exceptionally good swimmers. However, I feel like Santa is just like, okay, cool, thanks. <laughs> like, like the the ducks are just sitting there watching, and and the the water animation is beautiful. Like you can you can feel the speed looking at it. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, and it's kind of cool that he's like swimming underwater, but he's also kind of swimming like a human and not like a bird. Um, which which you know makes sense because he's an anthropomorphic bird. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, he saves Santa, and Santa's, and and he's all like, you know, yay, thanks. And then Santa doesn't appear to be terribly grateful to me, but that just could be my opinion. I thought so. A little bit. I mean, he he says that line. I see no penguins here whose wings merely sputter. Tonight it was courage that flew yours beyond others. Time to fly, son. Okay, that's sweet. Which is which is sweet. Opus his hat. My yeah. life for a hat. But poor Opus is standing there like, yay, you're going to give me real flight, right? And, like his arms outstretched like, yay. Oh, you're not even going to like, I don't know, let me sit in your sleigh while you actually fly? No, nothing <laughs> to that. It's just like, your wings look fine to me. Thanks for saving my life. Bye. Yeah, exactly. Yep. He's got to go deliver some toys. He can't putz around talking to him and... Penguin. Mm. <laughs> they got a hat, though. Did they sell plush Opus dolls with Santa hats? It feels like something that should exist. It feels like something that must exist, but I, I don't recall it. 
would have been a nice tie-in right at this exact point of the special. Yes. But but nope, Santa just kind of takes off using his old sonic boom sort of disappearing act he always does. And everyone goes back to bed. And that's Christmas Eve. That's the Christmas portion of this show. Till the next morning, it's Christmas morning, and snow is almost now completely covering Bill, who's still waiting outside. Uh, and there's a dumb, cute effect here where Opus wakes up and yawns, as as do two portraits on his wall. I thought that was sweet. <laughs> I'm immediately reminded of Garfield and Friends' Wade Duck. Yes! With the inner tube adorned yes! with a miniature version of his own head. But here it's a portrait of some old man above Opus's bed and a plain yellow smiley face in another frame of the wall. And there's a Lost Horizon poster. <laughs> um, and Opus is still wearing Santa's hat, but he doesn't realize it. He steps outside and finds a long line of ducks, all now wearing bow ties, waiting for him as the three who teased him before lift him off the ground and take him on a tandem flight. <laughs> Which is really sweet. Mm-hmm. I do. I like this ending. I feel like there wasn't enough of the ducks in it from before to kind of earn that moment at the end, but... Well, ducks, ducks in, by their very nature, are just jerks to, it, to me. And they're, and they're kind of scary to me. Have you ever seen duck teeth? I've never seen duck teeth, no. Ducks have two rows of teeth like sharks. And it's, don't look it up because it's really creepy. I don't plan on it. <laughs> teeth. Yes. But, uh, and geese, geese are just outright jerks. Geese so. are even more terrifying. Geese, yeah. I, ha- yeah. I almost got bitten by a goose in Williamsburg, oh. Virginia. Colonial geese. <laughs> just old and wiry. <laughs> a powdered wig. <laughs> But uh, but my kids have a book that ends basically the same way the special does. It's called A Frog Thing, and it's basically this exact plot, but it's a frog who wishes he could fly, just sets his mind to, I'm going to fly, uh, rescues a baby bird that falls in the water, and then the bird's oh. mother repays him by taking him on a tandem flight, too. So, show notes hmm. if you're interested. That's but frogs have frogs don't have wings at all. Wings at all. It's, this one just decided <laughs> I want to fly. So, for the record, by the way, we found a stuffed uh, opus on the internet who had uh, reindeer ear, uh, reindeer horns, antlers. I'm sorry, and uh, an ornament hanging from each one as a stuffed animal that came out in 1985. I want that special. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Opus saves Christmas by becoming a reindeer. Opus and all of the other reindeers. (laughs) It's kind of like Max there, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but sadly, no Santa hat, Opus. Yeah. Oh, wait, actually, go back. There's a really tiny one. It looks like he's wearing a Santa hat. I don't know if that was made that way or someone added it. Spent all the budget on Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman. Sorry. Oh, there's one. Yeah, there's a, no, there's definitely an Opus with a Santa hat we found. Wait, this one says Opus Penguin Doonesbury. Come on now. What? It's not <laughs> that close. <laughs> no. But we wrap up with Opus asking who suggested getting him to help Santa. And of course, it was Bill on whom Opus dropped Santa hat. Okay, did they ever sell plush bills with Santa's hats? In Santa hats? Um, I don't know. Let's find stuffed Bill the Cat Christmas <laughs> on Google. <laughs> I'm not sure if they'd sell more or less than an Opus. No, they just have a bunch of weird stuffed Bill the Cats. Here's a picture of him lumped in with... with Hobbs, Tigger, and Garfield, <laughs> and Bill all in a row. That's the scariest <laughs> gang ever. <laughs> Very yes. orange. Yes. Uh, but that's pretty much it, aside from a post credit scene with Truffles the Pig shouting, don't get cocky, and Opus's butt dropping next to him one last time. <laughs> so, this is such a, a strange, odd little creature of a special. Um, I like it, and I don't like it at yeah. the same time. 
Like, it's really sweet, but then also, like, very confusing. Why would that even happen? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean, I I prefer the, the paper. <laughs> yeah, I wrote in my notes, it's odd and quirky, but it's fun, but it's not really funny. I feel like this was a pilot for a potential series, and they just decided, you know what, no. Which is fine, because then we get Animaniacs, so hooray. Yeah. It's a pilot that didn't fly. Ah! But again, we get Animaniacs in its place, so happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could have worked as a kid show, but Berkeley Brother probably had no intention of making it one. This special certainly wasn't one. Uh, any final thoughts on A Wish for Wings that Work? I don't know if there's anything else yeah. left to say. We've <laughs> talked about everything from cyborg penguin butts to fish police nailed it <laughs> yeah <laughs> to tootsie <laughs> to cockroach tootsie to the simpsons season two what a weird special uh, well thank you both once again and thank you for suggesting this erin it's an oddity it's it's worth noting <laughs> I'm, I'm sure i'm sure the um the actual children's book on its own, didn't, you know, need all this extra stuff. No, absolutely not. The, the children's book is, again, just beautiful artwork in that. So I'll put that in the show notes as well if you want to go check that out. Uh, yeah. If anyone wants to make you anchovy Christmas cookies, where can they find you on the internet, Erin? Um, Twitter. Ms. Erin M. Evans. And Joey. Uh, I'm on the Twitters at I'm gonna DJ 24 and you can hear me on Why Not Radio at whynotradio.net. And of course, you can find the show notes that I previously mentioned for this episode on the web at adventcalendar.house and on Twitter at adventcalhouse. And for Aaron and Joey, see you in the funny pages and careful of the icy patch. Excuse me, but I simply must fly. The Advent Calendar House is part of the Christmas Podcast Network, located conveniently at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Do you love fun? Do you love movies? Do you love TV shows? Do you love informative entertainment? But most of all, do, do you, you love, love Christmas? Christmas? Then look no further, because we've got you covered. It's a 90s Christmas podcast. is all about the most joyful and triumphant holiday in all its media. But only as far as the 90s are concerned. That's right. Our show not only is about the cheeriest time of the year, but also the cheesiest decade in world history. If that isn't an ideal combination, I don't know what is. Every week we will cover a movie, two sitcom episodes, and a Christmas special, as long as it came out between 1990 and 2002. You can find us on iTunes, Podomatic.com, Stitcher.com, and Spotify. I am Lyle Perez from America. I am Lasse Vogt from Germany. And it's a 90s Christmas podcast offering perspectives from two different parts of the world is waiting for you. Have fun. And no matter where you are or when you listen to this, a, a very, very Merry Christmas. Christmas. Next time on the Advent Calendar House. Cricket on the heart.